0: Welcome to The Coffee Break, a podcast where we talk about the business analysis and what's going on in the networking industry, focus on things from uh, vendors, moves, news analysis on products and positioning, and look into the business of networking, and hopefully in the time it takes to have a coffee break. I'm Greg Farrow, and with me today is Andrew Connery-Murray. How are you today?
1: I'm good, Greg. How are you? Not dead, that's, I guess, good.
0: Yes, well, you know, start off low, and then expectations rise, and, you know, every day is a good day, because you meet a very <laughs> low bar, I'm always a success, every day. I, don't-
1: uh, I should also introduce Howard Marks, who's our guest for today. Howard, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing just fine.
1: Uh, Howard is the chief scientist and founder of DeepStorage.net, which is a storage consultancy. He also blogs at Network Computing, and you can find him at all the big tech
0: shows. Welcome to the show, Howard. Howard. Thank you, guys. Glad so, to be here. All right, let's kick this off because we've got to get into a hustle because my coffee's already a little bit cold. I got made it a bit early. First on the show topic this week is, is wearable computing on the rise? Seeing as it's Mobile World Congress down in Barcelona this week, and there's a whole bunch of people running around congratulating themselves on how great it is to have smartphones. <laughs> because, you know, if we haven't got enough smartphones, more smartphones must be better. Uh, they're talking about uh, the wearable market on the rise. This is all about the Fitbits and all this sort of stuff. What do you think, Andrew? You know,
1: I guess there's a class of people that really like this kind of thing. I'm not one of them. I, I didn't get into Google Glass. I don't see myself wearing a Fitbit. But obviously if the market just circulated around what I like, we'd live in a very narrow world. So,
0: What about you,
2: Howard? Are you likely to get a Fitbit and take up jogging? Well, I'm not likely to take up, sh- take up jogging, um, as you guys know. I am in shape and that shape is round, <laughs> um, but I I do have a Fitbit yes, um, and do occasionally wear it. Yep. Uh, it's interesting to discover when you go to something like VMworld just how many steps you take. On the other hand, I've been a fan of wearables, you know, not really in the general case for a long time. I remember doing a consulting gig at Boeing maybe 15 years ago where they had the first Generation of these things, so that when you were crawling around on the inside of the 767, you were building the blueprints, could get looked up on the little monitors hanging in front of your face. Mm. So, there's I, I can see a lot of industrial uses as a guy who speaks at events and therefore is in the position you guys will both recognize of having people walk up to you in an event who you've clearly met once before but have no idea who they are and their badge is backwards. Um, (laughs) The one application I would like for Google Glass is facial recognition against my contact list. I can see that. I would love love to have the device just tell me who that is hmm. so that I don't walk up to
0: somebody and greet them by the name of the guy that they look like. I, I guess um, I guess the thing about wearables is that uh, a they're kind of creepy, and I have a privacy issue. That is, I'd like to have some. And <laughs> the current generation,
2: kind yeah, of of the Scott McNeely class, you yeah. have no privacy. Get over
0: it. Yeah, I, I don't. I I can accept the fact that people can see me walk down the street in public, but you know, at the end of the day, there are some places where people should not go, and Fitbits and all that sort of stuff might not be one. Clearly, there's a use for them in medical cases. You know, where if you've got some sort of medical condition and they want to monitor something, that's something. But that would be covered under privacy law. And I'm also not sure that it's going to be the people I know who have Fitbits or any sort of wearable sort of play with them for a few weeks and then throw them in the drawer and they get forgotten about. I doubt it's as sticky as people think it is.
1: I think once we can get to subcutaneous implants, then, then we'll be off and running.
0: Like
2: most other platforms, it's waiting for the killer app. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's what is it that having this as a wearable mm-hmm. is going to let me do that I couldn't do before that really delivers value. Yeah. And I remember being at Comdex where Puma had the running shoes with a serial interface you connected to your computer so you could analyze your stride. And I think they sold four pairs of those.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bit like Facebook. I mean, everybody's getting bored of Facebook, too. But, you know, for all of the great unwashed out there who don't own a Fitbit, they'll all rush out to get one and then go, you know, actually, this is not great, and move on. I don't think it's going to be huge. Well, in the same topic, uh, in the same vein here, your next Ford car may run... BlackBerry QNX instead of Microsoft software. So for those of you who've been following the car maker Ford, they know that they have been using uh, Windows to be powering their uh, internal software platform for the car in the entertainment system, and it's been interfacing to the 3G. The product hasn't been a great success, and uh, many people have pointed the finger at the Microsoft operating system saying it's rubbish because it crashes all the time. And so moving to BlackBerry's QNX software, uh, I don't know how many people realize that BlackBerry owned QNX. Most people didn't. Is a good move because QNX is often used in like things like medical devices and <laughs> manufacturing. Well, QNX QNX is a real time operating system. It's a it's, microkernel. It's designed
2: for that kind of embedded mm. application.
0: Not quite. Yeah. There are versions of QNX which are real time, and there are versions of QNX which are microkernels, and then there's a maxi kernel version. And so different things run different things. So there's also a high reliability version which runs in medical devices. So a lot of the you know the heart pumps and the Electronics that roam around in hospitals these days—they are powered by a medical version of QNX.
1: This sounds like a one little bright spot of news for BlackBerry in what has otherwise been a very grim year.
0: Yeah, it's also good news for Ford. They get a decent operating system for change.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'd, I I'd, I'd love to see more competition. So I, it it sounds like a potentially a good thing. The
2: thought of paying four or five thousand dollars for the built-in nav and and entertainment system in the car instead of just using my phone
0: offends me. (laughs) Prices they charge for those things are just astronomical. Well, I think QNX has got a better licensing scheme than Microsoft does. I mean, Microsoft's fairly greedy on the pricing side, and I would think that QNX... I mean, QNX runs in Disco routers, for example, and in quite a few storage arrays. It's the default uh, operating system for those things. I don't think Microsoft's charging enough that it matters to the price board charges. Just, as you say, a bit of a bright spot there for BlackBerry. Not that anybody really cares about BlackBerry. They won't be around much longer. <laughs> and, it, and the q and division will be able to sell it off to somebody. There's just really no way. Uh, uh, Black, BlackBerry, I think, has reached the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail stage. <laughs> yes. Moving on to uh, the crazy world of American telecommunications marketplace, which is a crazy mixed-up thing in its own right. Oh, We've had a lot of hoo England yeah or Australia or Taiwan or Papua New Guinea or (laughs) Europe which one would you like (laughs) <laughs> well, from any of those views, it looks crazy. So. It, yes, it does. And, uh, they're all crazy because, as I've been known to say on this program, all service providers hate their customers. Uh, so this week, we've got Doug Henschen talking, writing at Information Week saying the rumors saying that Netflix and Comcast have announced a deal where Netflix will pay Comcast via interconnection to stream more bandwidth into the Comcast network. Andrew, this looks like one of yours. Do we want to lead out?
1: Yeah, the the deal came out on Sunday. Um, speculation about just how much Netflix is paying. I've heard figures of around a few million. Um, but the issue is, you know, is this sort of the nail in the coffin of network neutrality? Because uh, Netflix decided to take it on itself to just say, you know, the hell with it. We need to keep our customers happy, so here's some money, Comcast. Hmm. Um, I, I I find it a, an uncomfortable outlier
2: it's not quite as uncomfortable as it looks at first glance How so? because because it's not a you know we're paying you to not delay our packets sure it's it's a paid peering you see it with netflix because netflix is building their own cdn their own content distribution network mm-hmm. and so you know if you're talking about abc or hulu or any of those other guys who are using akamai or some other cdn Then it's Akamai who's paying Comcast for the high bandwidth connection, and so you're not seeing it quite as clearly as a we're paying you so that our content can be delivered to your customers. Yeah, that our that our peering can be better. And I'm not sure you know this kind of deal wouldn't be illegal under a net neutrality regime. It's it's a little disturbing that content providers have to pay carriers to bring their traffic to the customers who paid the carrier to bring that traffic to them anyway yes (laughs) Mm. it's not as ugly as it looks at first glance
0: yeah that's what i was thinking if it's like internet peering exchange points so you typically have things called ixps in the internet where all the carriers come together to exchange traffic it's a bit like Mm -hmm. a post office right the postman goes out and picks up the envelopes from around the streets and then drops them at the post office, and then the post office sends them to the next post office, who then gives them to a postman to deliver to your house, right? So in the case of internet, in the internet, Netflix has to get their traffic into the internet. So they can choose to connect to Verizon, or L3, or AT&T, or BT, or Telstra, or whoever the backbone carrier is, who then would connect to Comcast, or they can choose to spend the same amount of money to connect directly to Comcast. Now, Comcast isn't going to pay, you know, it doesn't want to put the 10-gig line into Netflix and then pay for that 10-gig line. They want to share the cost of the 10-gig circuit. It's like installing a broadband line into your house. You pay for that. So Netflix still needs a broadband line into the Comcast network. The question Mm -hmm. is whether they're paying over and above what is a reasonable access charge to the network, whether they're paying for preferential treatment. That's the difference between access or connectivity and service or privilege. Mm Mm-hmm. If this is just a straight connectivity deal, everybody should just calm down and you know, take a deep breath. Life is averted. Netflix should peer directly to the Comcast network because it's better. In the same way that when I go and work for a customer in a data center, I will peer with three or four providers to get the best, just the lowest latency into those networks.
1: Uh, that's a good distinction. Uh, and I'm glad that you guys pointed that out. It still, though, feels to me like a, a potential precedent is being set.
2: Mm. Uh, Whether it's kosher or not, it doesn't smell right Yeah, because it's Netflix.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, Netflix, the company that could go out of business any day now when Hollywood takes away the content. Uh, Sticking with uh, putting daggers in the back of carriers, there's a story here from the uh, Charleston Daily Mail who uh, posted an article about um, Verizon divested themselves of a landline business in and around the western Virginia area. Basically, the point of the article is that nearly four years after they took it over, Frontier Communications has expanded the network to by 70% and seen consumer complaints drop by nearly 70%. And the article goes on to sort of point out that why was Verizon so bad at providing this service? And if a local company could take it over, everybody should be running local... Um, services. We should go back to having small businesses all interpeering to each other, going back to the Netflix and Comcast thing. You know, this Frontier Communications would have to connect to other carriers at different points and get them to run it if they're going to drop uh, consumer complaints by 70%. That's good news, isn't it? It is good news, and I used to be a
2: Frontier customer. Why was Verizon ignoring West Virginia? Because West Virginia wasn't very profitable. It's a low population density, low technology area and therefore expensive to provide landlines. It's frankly also a very red state with an ineffective regulator who wasn't holding Verizon's feet to the fire and saying, why aren't you providing better service? And we're not going to give you a rate increase unless you provide better service. Where Frontier kind of specializes in those more rural areas and decided that if we're going to be the carrier here and we're going to compete with everybody else, then we're going to provide better service. Verizon put their money into Fios in New York and other places where they could get better return for it.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, it was interesting you picked up this story, Greg, because it sort of goes against your proposal that all carriers hate their customers um, because there was, it sounds like Frontier was investing a significant amount of money here, hundreds of millions of dollars.
0: It just goes yeah. to show what does happen when a service provider doesn't hate its customers. And, and there's a there's, there's a certain...
2: Below a, Above a certain size, every company hates their customers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's also an inertia, right? Large companies have... There's some, some things that only very large companies can create and build. So if you want to roll out cabling to every home in a, in a country, that just requires billions of dollars of money to be invested that requires a 20. You can't do that as small business because small business can't afford to dig up roads for months on end without having the appropriate funds. There's some things. When you have big companies, you have inefficiencies, I agree you know, the level of um, vitriol that anybody can direct towards their local carrier, you know, be it Verizon and AT&T in America or, you know, BT or Vodafone in this country or, you know, in Australia it's Telstra and Singapore it's SingTel and they're all the, you know, the incumbent effective monopolies. Why are we all still hating on them and letting them getting away with providing rubbish service. And if this story shows that with some reasonable effort, you can make it work.
1: I don't know, because if you're Comcast and you can get your customers and Netflix to pay twice, you know, why not? <laughs> I guess
2: so. Well, and, and if you're Comcast and you can just buy more customers by buying... Time buy Warner. Well, yeah. yeah, it's, it, it's funny. I moved uh, 18 months ago from New Jersey where I had my choice of Verizon, Fios, or CableVision's actually, in retrospect, pretty good service. Um, and I moved here to New Mexico, where I have Comcast, who's acceptable, um, and Last Century Link as the, the incumbent phone company. Um, and it's pretty astounding how big the difference is. Yeah, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of wishing I was back in that urban environment where there was enough competition to
0: keep both players honest. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in a country, like here in the UK, for example, they um, nationalized the infrastructure. So all the cabling in the ground was given to a government organization, and then they let any one of the carriers run over the top. So I can buy DSL from any one of about 20 different companies here, because none of them own the cable in the ground. That's a nationalized right. infrastructure. That's there's, not, there's goods and bads there. I'm not going to say it's good, because it's not and i'm not going to say it's bad because it's not bad either right it's just a different way of solving the problem but the nice part is is that i can you know i have quit three companies in the last 3 years and continually move from one to the other to get a better deal but at the end of the day my cable in the ground is still the same old cable in the ground which is rubbish you know it's not faster it's not whatever but it right. hasn't, hasn't increased in price there is competition so there's more than one way right. to do it right and different countries have adopted different strategies to produce competitiveness. In America, it was conceptually, it was a duopoly. And in the UK, they nationalized the physical infrastructure but let them share the overlay. Well, that seems like we're out of topics for today. Andrew, have you got any more you want to throw down on the table? Or shall we wrap up early because my coffee's going cold?
1: Uh, I wouldn't want you to have to drink cold coffee so we can wrap it up.
0: Okay, well, that's the coffee break, a work in progress while we polish the fiber optic cables and uh, decide what we do with while examining our belly button fluff. Thanks to the people who've been sending in some suggestions. Uh, I will uh, have a, a confab with Andrew shortly to start discussing a better name so we can actually take this out of the community feed. Speaking of the community feed, those of you who are listening, if you ever want to raise a podcast and publish it on the Packet Pushers Network, this feed is the one for you. So you can uh, record something and then share it with the community if that is what punches your boats. Uh, thanks, Andrew, for joining us today.
1: You're very welcome, Greg.
0: Look forward to getting – are we going to get together next week as well? No.
1: Uh, ONS, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't we'll know if we'll skip do a show. Next week. Skip yeah, next we week. might have to skip next week. But so we'll the week after. Back.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, we'll be back eventually. <laughs> Just
1: keep the coffee coming.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much. And uh, thank you, Howard Marks, for joining us today. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. I hope you're going to do something exciting in the near future. We'll look forward to seeing you at Interop, I suspect. Oh, yes. I've, I've got a full schedule at Interop. A workshop in three sessions, so I'll be a busy beaver. Excellent. I'll I'll look forward to getting updates from your Fitbit. And, of course, you can find more. (laughs) I want to see. I I think, Andrew, we need to arrange a board to see how its Fitbit results for this. (laughs) (laughs) thing. Live tweeting. Live, live tweeting, tweeting from yeah. Howard <laughs> tweet Yeah, Howard took four steps today. <laughs> <laughs> you can find more information about the show notes at packetpushes.net, where we link to all the articles that we've talked about today. You can follow the show on Twitter as at packetpushes to see when the latest is greatest is happening. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Coffee Break, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.